Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. We started a series last week. Anybody know the name of it? Look up, child, right? Um, We're taking, that's good, I made it easy for you, okay? (laughs) Some of you were like, I have no idea. It's right there. Um, We're taking six weeks to look at the Lord's Prayer when his disciples ask Jesus, can you teach us to pray? We see you praying all the time. You have this intimate relationship with the Father where you go away for hours on end. We'd like to pray like you. How can we do that? Jesus gave them this prayer. And rather than looking at uh, kind of a mandate, like you should pray this way, because we all kind of sometimes, I think, feel this, I'm not good enough at prayer. If you've ever connected with that feeling, you're not alone, right? I should be better at prayer. I should uh, give more time to prayer. I should do it this way. I ought to do it this way. Uh, We're trying to flip that around to look at the Lord's Prayer, Jesus' instructions to pray from the heart of the Father, that the Father is actually inviting us to look up at Him into His face to see who He is and what He has for us and then to send us out. So last week, last week, if you remember, I threw up a shot of different characters from The Princess Bride and I said, here's this corny little memory tool that we're going to have. You guys remember that? We're doing like six-fingered prayer. So I want you to make this. Do this with your hands where you line them up and then you got two thumbs. This is, do it. (laughs) This is six-fingers prayer, right? So we talked last week about the Father's heart, and you can wiggle one of those little thumbs, the Father's heart. Jesus says, I want you to pray this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Today we're going to talk about the next line, like your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as we go, we're going to keep wiggling these fingers as reminders about the gift that God has for us in prayer. We're going to talk about uh, the Father's heart and today the Father's kingdom. Then we're going to talk about the Father's provision, the Father's forgiveness, the Father's guidance, and finally the Father's deliverance. Okay? It's, I'm so excited for this series as we break down this gift that Jesus gives us in connecting with the Father. So uh, rather than looking at prayer out of this neglect or uh, respect or reject kind of atmosphere where I feel like I'm always neglecting God, I'm always neglecting prayer, or I'm coming to him merely out of respect. God, I respect you, and so I'll pray to you, which is good, except from a parent's perspective, if your child only ever comes to you out of respect, the first few times that'll feel like a breath of fresh air. But, but that's not what the stuff that relationships are built on, right? Like, it's got to get deeper than respect. So we don't want to pray just out of respect. And lots of people, I think, have looked at prayer and just kind of push it away. Life has been really hard. Uh, there's some anger toward God, all kinds of things going on. And so we reject God. We push him away. We reject prayer. We reject that kind of connection. We want to Uh, kind of dismantle those three ways of coming to God in prayer. So it's not neglect or respect or reject. We want to look to connect. This six-fingered prayer, I think, helps us. Last week, we talked about the Father's heart. We talked about the number one thing that the Father wants you to hear 
is that you are loved. That you are loved just the way you are. No strings attached, unconditionally. Over and over and over through the pages of Scripture, that's the message that God loves you. Loves you. And that's not the whole message, but that is the starting point. Okay? That you know deep within yourself that you are loved, that you are accepted, that God delights in you. He wants you to know that. If you start to try and follow God without knowing that you're loved by God, you're going to get really quickly into religion. And what I mean by that is you're going to get really quickly into all kinds of good religious behaviors that you do and do and do and do and stack up so that you try to please God never knowing for sure if you're really ever loved by Him. If you start knowing that you are loved by Him no matter what, it changes the behavior. But not out of a need to please God, out of an abundance of being a child of God. Right? So that's why it's not about religious activity. It's about a relationship that brings you to life and animates your whole world. You are loved by God. We're going to read Matthew 6, 9 through 13, and then dip into this second phrase. So Matthew 9, starting in verse, uh, or Matthew 6, starting in verse 9, Jesus says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us, not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And Matthew 6.10 says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus started with the Father, right? When you pray, look up to the Father. That the Father is calling you Look up, child. Look up, child. Look at me. You are loved. I delight in you. Look up into the face of the Father uh, with respect. Hallowed be your name. And then the next, the next line is, I want your kingdom here. I want your kingdom to come here, right here on earth, just as it already is in heaven. Father means I am loved. Kingdom means I am sent. Okay, we'll talk about that more. The Father, having a Father means I am loved. Having a King means I am sent as an ambassador on the King's mission. The kingdom of God is not a physical place. That doesn't mean stuff doesn't happen in the physical, in our world, but the kingdom of God is everywhere where the rule and reign of God exists. Everything that reflects the King is part of the kingdom. Everything that looks like the king's heart, that looks like the king's will, that looks like the king's mission, is part of the kingdom. And when things are broken, that is part of the world that's broken and is coming along. When we pray, your kingdom come, we're praying, God, would you break into the places that are still broken? Would you bring healing to the places that are still broken? Would you bring restoration to the places that are still broken. And there's a lot of brokenness around, right? We pray, 
Father, King, bring your kingdom. Kingdom means having a king. Now, the world has lots of kings. We bow down to all kinds of kings throughout the course of our days. We aim for things that uh, drive us. And we try to acquire, we try to get toys, we try to get shiny things, we, we look to all of these things. And uh, the irony is these things that we strive after actually become gods in our life that we bow down to. We think if I just get this thing or if I just follow this way, then I'll be happy, then I'll be fulfilled. And they always stay out of reach. That law of diminishing return that says, if I get this, then I'll be happy, but it fades, so I've got to get more of it. And that's how addictions begin, right? And that's how addictions are sustained because I'm reaching for that thing that will make me feel okay. And it's elusive and running away. And we bow down to it until we're trapped and we can't help but bow down anymore. Our king wants to destroy those changes, those chains. Throughout history, people have wanted people as kings. When God came and said, I want to be your king, I am your king, follow me, live in my ways, and I will lead you well. They said, yeah, that's great, but we want a real king. We want a people king. Like all the other nations around us, we want somebody who stands tall, somebody who looks like a king, somebody that we can see. And God says, I know that's attractive, but it's not, it's not going to get you what you want. And they said, well, we still want one. I want to look real quick. This conversation between God and his people, Israel, when they're saying, you've established us into a people, we want we want a king. And he's like, let me caution you about that, what you're asking. And they don't listen. In 1 Samuel 8, verses 8 through 20, this is in the New Living Translation. I think it's easier to read. It flows better just as a reading Bible than as a study Bible. So we're going to read out of the New Living. 1 Samuel 8, starting in verse 10. So Samuel passed on the, Lord, the Lord's warning to the people who were asking him for a king. He says, this is how a king will reign over you, Samuel said. The king will draft your sons and assign them to his chariots and his charioteers, making them run before his chariots. Some will be his generals and captains in his army. Some will be forced to plow in his fields and harvest his crops. And some will make his weapons and chariot equipment. The king will take your daughters from you and force them to cook and bake and make perfumes for him. He will take away the best of your fields and the vineyards and olive groves and give them to his own officials. He will take a tenth of your grain and your grape harvest and distribute it among his officers and attendants. He will take your male and female slaves and demand the finest of your cattle and donkeys for his own use. He will demand a tenth of your flocks and you will be his slaves. When that day comes, you will beg for relief from this king you are demanding, but then the Lord will not help you. But the people refused to listen to Samuel's warning. Even so, we still want a king, they said. We want to be like the nations around us. Our king will judge us and lead us into battle. 
This is a conversation that God has with his people where he's saying, I don't think you really want what you're asking for. And they say, yeah, we do. You ever have that in you where you get stuck on something and you're like, I want that, I want that, I want that. And somebody's like, that's not really going to be good. And you're so stuck on it, then you do it anyway. And then you find out, oh, that's not actually good. Have you had that experience? Have you seen that in kids? I want, I want, I want to do this thing. And you're like, no, uh, food can be like that, right? Sometimes I want like three pieces of pie. And then later, I, I recognize I didn't want three pieces of pie. My stomach is not happy with me. I feel all kinds of sugar rushing through me. It's not good, but I want it. And nobody's going to be able to convince me otherwise. God can't even sometimes convince us otherwise when he's trying to get our attention and point us in the right direction. They say, we want a king. And exactly what God described happened. They got their king. And in the way that he lived, it cost the people a lot. It cost the people a lot. And God is a different kind of king than people kings. Jesus talks about worldly kings. In Matthew 20, 25 through 28, Jesus called to them and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. He's talking about earthly kings. There is this uh, human way of doing it. When I have authority, I get to push everybody else down. In order for me to get bigger, I need to make other people feel smaller. That's the worldly kingdom at work. We fight and we struggle for power. And in order to get more, I have to push others down. And Jesus says, it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So worldly kings take. They make promises, but ultimately they're selfish. They're looking to get, and they're looking to take, and they're looking to accumulate. We do this ourselves when we seek our own kingdoms. I'm looking to build, and I'm looking to acquire, and I'm looking to take. But as we follow Jesus, we realize that our king rules differently. Worldly kings take, and our king gives. Worldly kings take and our king gives. Jesus gave a description of himself in Matthew 20, 28. He says, I want you to serve. If you want to be great, you've got to get low. And if you want to be uh, powerful, like you've got to serve everybody. And he says in verse 28, even as the son of man, which is a nickname, a name for himself that he gives himself, even as the son of man came not to be served, which would be the normal etiquette for a king, right? Not to be served, but to serve. That's a different kind of king. That's a different kind of leadership. That's a different kind of authority. A king who serves, and he flips the kingdom upside down. And not just to serve, but to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, our king, gave his life. He gave the ultimate sacrifice. 
John 3.16 is that most famous verse in the Bible that says God so loved the world that he gave. That, that is the behavior of our king. It comes from a father's heart who loves. And as king, he gives. He loves and he gives. Our king rules. Our king serves. Our king gives. And he's calling you to look up, child. Look up and see what kind of king he is. See the Father's heart and see a king who gives. Jesus teaches us to pray, Father, King, we want your kingdom here as it already exists in heaven. And so there's this reality, right, that we live in the already, not yet. We live in a kingdom that is breaking through, that already exists in heaven, that is already at work among us, and yet is not yet fully come where we are. It hasn't yet fully arrived. Brokenness still exists. Greed still exists. Guilt still exists. And in the kingdom in heaven, it doesn't exist right now. Right now in heaven, all of the brokenness is gone. And he's bringing his kingdom here. And one day here, it will all be healed. Life as God intended is breaking through. Now listen to what uh, N.T. Wright says about the kingdom message and Jesus' followers. He writes, Jesus' first followers didn't think for a moment that the kingdom simply meant some new religious advice, an improved spirituality, a better code of morals, or a freshly crafted theology. They held to a stronger and more dangerous claim. They believed that in the unique life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the whole cosmos had turned from darkness to light. The kingdom was indeed here, though it was radically different from what they had imagined. They had imagined, again, an earthly king. Jesus shows up and he takes an earthly kingdom and he brings it with force and he brings it with power like the kingdoms of the world and it's radically different. And now they get to see it, that their king is arrested, that their king is mocked, that their king is beaten, that their king is killed, and then their king beats death. Then their king rises from the dead and says, there are no enemies strong enough to hold me back. Death was the last enemy, and I've beaten it. The king breaks through and brings his kingdom, and it's at work. The death and resurrection of Jesus changes everything. All things are becoming new. Dark becomes light. Death becomes life. And it starts small. Remember the parable of the mustard seed? That's this tiniest of all seeds that gets planted in the garden. And then it grows into this enormous plant where the birds come and take refuge. And Jesus is saying it starts seemingly unnoticeable, but it grows. And that's how the kingdom grows in you, too. It starts from small beginnings, and it grows and grows and grows until it's uncontainable. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new 
has come. Now, often when I think of the word new, I think of something that hasn't ever existed before, right? A new toy is on the shelf. It just got made. I'm going to go get it. And I don't think that that's quite what the Bible talks about when they talk about new. When the Bible talks about new, I think it's about life coming back in, about a restoration and a healing as if things have become old and broken and musty and they're going to be new again. It's not for the first time. It's come again. So the brokenness that the world is in right now, it receives a newness when the kingdom breaks into it. It has seen it before. God created it like that. God created us like that. But brokenness enters and darkness descends. And newness comes and shoves all of that away. Newness where we can stand up fully alive. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, renewed creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And one day it'll happen fully. Revelation 21.5 says, He who is seated on the throne, that's our King Jesus. He who is seated on the throne says, Behold, I am making all things new. That's what our King is doing. Someday fully, but it's already begun. This is happening now. So we can ask the question, but if the kingdom is breaking through, then why is there still injustice? And why is there still guilt? And why is there still hunger? And why does sin seem to reign in our world? Why is there still evil? And I don't think we have to dodge those questions. Honestly, I think sometimes the best answer is, I don't know. I don't know why all the brokenness, but that does not deter me from following my king. That does not stop me from following and experiencing the life and the newness that he has and then sharing it with people, allowing them to see the kind of kingdom that our king is bringing in great contrast to the kingdoms of this world and the brokenness that they bring. Like, they've had their chance. Our king has better. Right? And so we see the brokenness, and we don't dodge the brokenness. We engage the brokenness as people who are sent to bring the king's kingdom. I want, I want to give two pictures of what the kingdom could look like. Okay? Two different metaphors of what this could be. These are imperfect. These are pictures. If they help you understand the king and his kingdom better, that helps. If it doesn't, throw it away. Okay? The first is like God is medicine. God is medicine and we're doctors. We're being healed by the medicine ourselves and then we're able to take this medicine and share it with other people. That all of us have a human condition, have a human sickness. And our king as the medicine makes us well and then puts that in our hand and says share that with others you who have been healed become healers right 
you who have been healed, become healers. The second is, God is a great composer. And we are musicians, captivated by his music. And we start to sing and we start to play in the cacophony of the world, in all of the noise and the, uh, the explosions around us, in the, the, the violations to our ears, we start to play a different song. Our king is medicine, and we get healed, and we become healing agents. Our king is the music. We still get so captivated that we start to sing a different song, and we share that so that others can hear it and get captivated and start to play it, Right? God is bigger than all of us, but he gets inside of us and we become kingdom bringers in this world. Our father, the king, calls to us, look up, child, my kingdom is coming. The way, the way we see the kingdom come is we invite this prayer. Jesus, I want it. I want, I want to see it. Would you bring it? Would you help me be a part of it? We pray, yes, Father, King, bring it. Heaven, come down, break through. Only, and hear my heart in this, I am concerned that we often pray, Jesus, King, bring your kingdom here without offering ourselves in service of the kingdom. I want God to go do it and let me see it and I think often God, our Father, our King, is saying, look up, child, see what I'm doing and become part of it. See what I'm doing and become part of it. And you get to be a kingdom bringer. This doesn't just fall out of the heavens. God uses us, his children, to advance his kingdom. And we don't, we're not building our kingdom. We're on the king's mission, right? So we don't pray just a separate kind of prayer. Father, bring your kingdom over there. Let me celebrate what you're doing over there. We pray, bring your kingdom in me. Bring your kingdom in me so that it changes me. Bring your kingdom in me so that it changes me so that I can bring your kingdom wherever I go with whomever I'm with. Bring your kingdom so that it changes and transforms starting with me. And here's what I think it looks like. We look up into the face of the Father. We see what He's like. We see His character. We see what He delights in. We see His, uh, his heart for people. We see His will and the way He wants the world to be. We see Him. And then we look down around us at the people and the world around us, at us within, and we see the disparity. We see the difference. We see how sadly, tragically different it is. And we ask God to help us see the world as He sees it. We look up at our Father, and then we look around through the Father's eyes. And you know what that looks like when you combine the joy of the Father with the brokenness and the sorrow of the way the world currently is as a picture of the cross. In the cross, joy and sorrow meet. In the cross, 
all of the life of God that he has for us, all of the love of God that he has for us gets nailed to the cross in sorrow. He says, I don't want the brokenness anymore. I'm coming to dismantle it. The cross recognizes brokenness and says, this kingdom is bigger. This kingdom will break through. So we pray, Father, King, bring your kingdom. Break through in me and then all around me. And I wholeheartedly believe, I wholeheartedly believe that as we follow Jesus, as we share life and as we love our neighbor, we are going to see kingdom breakthroughs. We are going to see God showing up. Here's the litmus test. To know whether I'm seeking to build my own kingdom or if I'm trying to advance the Father's kingdom is am I seeking to give or am I seeking to get? As I relate with people, as I relate with the world, am I seeking to get something from them or am I seeking to give something, right? Because ultimately, our king is a giver. And as we follow our king, we become givers. If I'm looking at other people and the world around as what I can get out of this, I'm very likely building my own kingdom. If I'm looking at others and if I'm looking at the world, what can I give? It's a good chance that I'm, I'm on the Father's agenda. I'm on our king's agenda. So I'm going to put up a slide, and I want you to take a couple of minutes. Here are different, different spheres of your life, from uh, right in me to my family, with my neighbors, with my coworkers in the city and in the world. When we pray, when you pray, Father, your kingdom come. I want you to stand I want you to take two minutes. I want you to say, Father, what do you want me to hear? What is he highlighting right now? What is jumping out to you? Are there people, are there specific people that as those bullet points come up, people come to mind? That is an indication maybe that the voice of God is trying to get into you. Do people come to mind? What are you thinking? How could you give? How could you open up? What does it look like for the kingdom to break through right in you. There are things where I have closed you off, God, and I will open up so that you can come in fully. You have access to all that I have. In my own family, in my marriage, or in my relationships with parents, or with kids, or with brothers or sisters. How do we pray for the kingdom to break through? What would it look like for me to be a part of bringing the kingdom in those relationships? Does God bring people to mind? My neighbors, like physically the people who live next door, down the hall, right across the street. How could the kingdom break through? I'm so excited for some of the relationships happening in my own neighborhood um, where we're creating more of a sense of family and more of a sense of belonging and we're seeing little bits of the kingdom breaking through in our own neighborhood. And I want that for you as well. I want that for us. Our neighbors are the people who live right next to us, and our neighbors get much bigger than that too. 
Like, I think Jesus doesn't narrowly define neighbor. Our co-workers, the people that we come in contact with on maybe a daily basis, what would it look like for the kingdom to break through in those relationships and in their lives? How could I give in a way that reflects the king? In my city, you look around and you see brokenness and you see God breaking through. What would it look like to me be, for me to be on a kingdom mission right here, to be following the king in what he's already doing and just walking alongside him, advancing his kingdom here? Advancing the kingdom of God doesn't mean shutting people down, doesn't mean making people smaller. Advancing the kingdom of God doesn't mean winning an argument or making people feel stupid. Advancing the kingdom means allowing people to see the heart of the Father. For them. For them. And it breaks through and changes. What would it look like for me to be a part of bringing the kingdom to this world? Right now, as we, as we walk through that, do you feel like God is highlighting any of those or highlighting people in your world to say, pay attention, look up, child, look at me, and look at these relationships through my eyes. Pay attention. If you have that, here's my challenge to you. Share that with somebody else. Tell, like, I don't know, this might be a stretch, Maybe God is saying this to me. It sounds crazy. I'm just going to share it with you. There it is. I'm going to drop it. Maybe they say, yeah, that is nuts. Don't do that. Okay? That's part of community that we don't go off like nutso on our own because there's lots of voices competing for our attention. If you share it with somebody and they're like, that's awesome. That sounds like our king speaking. Maybe it's a small thing. Maybe it's a big thing. Maybe then you just pray, God, God, Father, what next? What next? What do I do with this? If you feel like maybe something has come to mind, share it with somebody else this morning before you go. Look up, child. What is God calling you to see? We're going to go into communion and finish with worship as a way of coming back to our king. Say, king, you are so good. Jesus, you look at us and you see us and you love us and you give and you give and you give. And you delight in giving. It says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. So it wasn't like he begrudgingly walked up that hill and gave his life. He did it for joy. And we can celebrate communion this morning because our king is a king of joy. Our king gave, and he doesn't stop giving. And we worship that king, and we give ourselves fully today and every day to advancing his kingdom. You are loved, and you are sent. Let's pray. Father, we thank you we thank you that you love. We thank you that you delight. We thank you that you have joy and that you give joy, that you breathe life into us, that you are yourself 
life. Help us hear you. Help us see you. Help us to be known um, in this community, to walk together, um, to walk together toward you and walk out uh, all the while asking, King, would you bring your kingdom? Would you make me a part of it? We thank you for the work that you're doing. We thank you that, for the work that you have yet to do. Help us to see and to hear and respond, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.